I'll measure less. Strong. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for bringing that this morning. That fits right in with what the pastor is going to be speaking to us about this morning. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Mark. We're coming down toward the end of the book of Mark. But it's the best part, I believe. I'm going to be reading chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices, that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb where the sun, when the sun had risen. And they said amongst themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was a very large stone. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he had said to you. And so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And the Lord had his blessing this morning as the pastor continues to read. Jesus had been crucified on Friday. They knew that the crucifixion had ended with his death. That was certain. They had been there, the ladies, to watch it all. And they helped take down his body and Joseph uh, put it in the tomb. And then Sabbath was an unusual Sabbath. They wondered what to think. The disciples were afraid and they were hiding. But the ladies had a plan. Because the, the death of Jesus had come so close to the Sabbath beginning that they didn't have opportunity to anoint his body with perfumes as should be done with, with someone. And so they needed to buy some perfumes. And when the Sabbath was over, they went to do that. In the New Living Translation of Mark chapter 16, verse 1, it says it this way. It says, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so that they could anoint Jesus' body. Now, I never thought about that before about how it was Saturday evening and they had to go out and buy the spices so they would have it ready f Sunday morning when they had opportunity 
to uh, go and anoint his body. Have you ever had a Sabbath where after sunset uh, you needed to go to the store and buy something? Sure, I think everybody's had that situation where we needed something and, and you couldn't wait till Sunday because of circumstances. And so right after Sabbath you went out and you found the place that had the items that you wanted and you purchased them. Well, that's what happened here. Saturday evening, went out and they found and they bought the ointment. Now, wait a minute. Was this the first time someone had bought ointment for Jesus' burial? Oh, remember, it was Mary who had gone out and purchased. And did she get uh, some bargain stuff? No, she spent a, a year's wages. What today may be $25,000, $30,000 to buy the very best, the spike nard. And to have that for his burial. Well, then why wasn't she using it here at this time? She had already poured it all out. When? When she anointed Jesus at the, the Feast of Simon. And we remember that whole story. And so she anointed Jesus then. Now this ointment that they bought Saturday night to use Sunday morning... Did they ever get to use it? They didn't. They bought it, and they brought it with them Sunday morning, but did they get to use it? No, why not? He wasn't there. He wasn't dead anymore. He was now alive. So you see, Mary ended up being the only one to get to anoint Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that special? No wonder Jesus said her story will be told wherever the gospel is preached. So the stuff that they bought, the ointment that they bought Saturday night, they couldn't use it. So what would they do with it? You'd have to return it, wouldn't you? And so they brought it back to the shop, I imagine. And they said to the shop owner, we need to return this oil. And he said, well, wait a minute. What about the person who's been buried? Why don't you need it? Well, he's not dead anymore. He's what? Can you look? Can you imagine the look on his face? He's not what anymore? He's not dead anymore. He's alive. What? How can that be? Because he wasn't just a man. He's Jesus, the Lord, the Savior, the Son of God. And can you imagine the conversation that ensued? Well, you know, sometimes we have experience in our lives that take us through some trauma, some difficulty. And as believers, where do we turn? We turn to God, don't we? And we turn to the precious, exceedingly great and precious what? Promises of God's Word, right? And we claim those promises. And we ask for the Lord to do as He's promised and intervene in our lives and help us and meet our needs. And many times, what do we see? We see like little Sophia coming to church after being prayed for. 
We see the answers. We see miracles. We see wonderful things. And sometimes people will say, well, how can you trust that old book with all those fairy tale-like stories? And what can we say? They're not just stories. These are the truth. And the promises therein are reliable and they're faithful. And amazing things happen for those who trust in them. Just like Mary and the other ladies at the apothecary shop where they got those ointments and had to return them. Sometimes people say, how can you be so different? You eat different foods and you have a different lifestyle. How can you trust those old, old instructions? And we say, ah, they are living instructions because they come from the living God who knows us better than we know ourselves. And we get wonderful blessings when we follow God's instructions. They're not just made-up things. They're not just old wives' tales. Some people say, oh, that, that lady Ellen White... She just made up all those, or she copied all those things, or she did this or that. And then we say, oh, but you should experience what we've experienced. In listening and in cherishing and in following the instructions that God gave through her. And we've seen blessing after blessing in our own lives and in the church and all over the world. People getting less cancer and having less troubles of this way and financially and, and with education. So many things, so many blessings. No, not just made up things. Now, let's go to verses 2 and 3. Where it says, early in the morning they came to the tomb. And look at verse 3. They said among themselves on their way, they said, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? So as they were on the way, all of a sudden it hit them. Wait a minute, we've got the spices. We're ready to go with that. But how are we going to get at the body? There's something in the way. What was it? That big stone. Was it a little stone? It was a big stone. Was it possible for them to move it? No way could they move it. And so here they're walking. I said, oh, what are we going to do with that stone? And they wondered. Well, no, I wonder, what about you and me? Maybe there's a big stone in our lives. But verse 4 says, and when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. For it was very large. God had already cared for the impossible. God loves that word. He loves that word, impossible. Because that's a challenge. And that means something's going to happen to the glory of God. And so that day they came and they didn't know what they were going to do, but the stone was already rolled away. Do you know what it says in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24? It says, It shall come to pass before they call, I will what? 
I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. Did the Lord know about their problem that day? Did He hear what they were saying? Did He have an answer? And even if it took an angel from heaven to come down, which it did that time, and the angel just rolled it away like a little pebble. Was that a hard thing for God to take care of? And you may have a big stone in the way, something impossible in the way for you to accomplish what God's mission is for you. Israel had the Red Sea. Did God, did God take care of that? And what about David? David had Goliath. It was impossible to overcome Goliath. Did God take care of him? And what about Daniel? He had a den of lions. And his three friends, the fiery furnace. Impossible. And God took them right through. And the disciples had a storm that was going to sink their ship. But Jesus knew how to take care of that. And what about Jesus? Jesus had something impossible in front of him. It was the cross. For how could he face the cross and the separation from the Father and still live? But God had a plan. And even for Jesus, especially for Jesus, which includes all of us, he had a plan to take care of the impossible. Well, God is the same today. He is the same today. And you can trust Him for your impossible need. He will make it possible for you to do His will. Now maybe you've got a work situation. Maybe you've got an education situation. Maybe you've got a financial or a health situation. You say, this is impossible. You've got a big stone in the way that no one can roll out of the way. Oh, let me tell you, God is in the business of rolling stones. Bridget Meadows was such a pleasant girl. Always a big smile on her round face. There in Stanley, Virginia, when I was pastoring there. And she was part of our church and part of our school. Her parents were just precious people. Really nice people. You'd love them. And when she graduated, when Bridget graduated from the 8th grade, um the parents came to me and they said, Pastor, we don't know what to do. We've got an academy just over the mountain, Shenandoah Valley Academy, and we, we really think that's where God wants our daughter to be so she can have Christian education. Uh, we see what goes on in the public schools and we're, you know, there are some problems there. So they said we'd really... We really believe this is God's will, but we don't have any money. We don't, we've, been, we've been paying for her to go to church school, and we just don't make much money, and they didn't. They both had jobs in a little factory there in the little valley and uh, didn't make a high wage at all. They said, Pastor, we don't know what to do. We, we don't have any funds. We don't know how we could pay a monthly thing or anything. We just it, We don't see how it could possibly work. It's really impossible. I said, well, let me tell you, I've, I've read stories about people who are in your situation. They, 
they felt certain that it was God's plan, God's will, for their child to be in a, a Christian academy. And so, though they had no money like you, they, they enrolled their student anyway, and they left it in God's hand. And four years went by, and they came to the end, and all of, they, they looked, and the bill was paid. And they didn't know how it happened. But somehow God took care of it. So, I encourage you to consider that testimony, take it to God, and in faith step out and let God take care of things. And he looked at each other. He said, okay, we'll go home and we'll pray about it. And so they did. And the next thing I heard was that Bridget was enrolled over at the academy. Four years later, when she was finished, they got a hold of me. They said, Pastor, remember our, our conversation about this four years before? I said, oh, yes. They said, well, we put her in the academy, and now she's graduating, and we look at the bill, and somehow it's paid. It's all paid. And we don't know how it happened. We didn't have that money. We contributed what little we could, but it was a small amount, and somehow God did it. He rolled away the stone for Bridget and her parents, even though it was impossible. Take your big impossible stone and give it to God. Put it in His hands. Will He hear you praying? The Bible says He will. When you call on him, will he answer? He will, even before you expect it sometimes. Now let's go to verses 5 and 6. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed with a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed, or do not be afraid, some versions say. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, and he is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? With the implication, see, it's empty. He's not there. Now, notice it doesn't say they saw an angel clothed in a long white robe. It says they saw a young man. But was this a regular human being, young man? No. Uh, oftentimes, as we go through the Bible, we see descriptions of angel visitors from heaven, and they look like a person, sometimes like a young person, sometimes like a, just an ordinary man. And, uh, and so they appear. But look, notice it says they had, not only did he have the white robe, but they were alarmed or they were afraid. And often people were. They would see this and they would be afraid. Apparently, the appearance was glorious. There was a brightness. There was a shining. There was some kind of a brilliant glory about him. And so often the angel, the first thing the angel would say to a person were those two words. What are they? Or three words. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. And so that's what was said here. Now, have you ever been afraid meeting someone? Or startled, at least? I was with my brother Tom out in California. I was visiting him. 
and we went to this little plaza, kind of a place with two levels, and we went to get on the elevator, and the door opened, and there standing right in front of me was Johnny Carson from the TV thing for many years. Any of you ever hear of Johnny Carson? Some of you older folks. And here he was standing, and I was, I'm, 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 I'm. <laughs> hi. <laughs> you know. And he had a big smile, and he greeted me as if I was, you know, an old friend or something, and, and then he just kind of went on his way. And, you know, uh, I, I was just startled. Now, he didn't have any brilliant appearance about him. <laughs> he was just a regular person. But I imagine if an angel was in that elevator, maybe I'd fall right down. Never mind, be stat stammering. And so the angel came. The angel was there in the tomb, and they came to him, and he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You see, when a messenger's from heaven, we don't have to be afraid because heaven is on our side. All of the angels that are from heaven and all of the members of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are on our side. They're committed to us. They are for us, not against us. And so it says in John 3.17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Many people are afraid God's going to condemn them. And that's why they're running away from Him. And not just young people, older people too are running away from God. They say, oh, I can't talk about God because they feel like they're going to be condemned. But God didn't send His Son to condemn the world, but to do what? To save the world. To save the world. That the world through Him might be saved. And this is why we who believe, who understand what the Bible says, we can have peace with God. Not fear, not trembling, not running away from God, but peace with God and rest with God. We can rest with Him as with a friend. He already loves us. He already wants us for His kingdom forever. There's no need to try to impress Him with our goodness. How much goodness do we have anyway of our own? We, we don't have any. He loves us because it's in His nature. He is love. He sees the potential in us and He loves what we can become through His grace, through His truth, through His love. And so He looks beyond our sin and He sees our needs. The needs that His love can fill and can make us whole and good and free. Free to serve Him with our heart. Now, verse 7. Here's what the angel told these ladies who came to the tomb. He says, But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into where? To Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. Now, why does it mention Peter? Wasn't Peter one of the disciples? Yeah, but why do you think he mentioned Peter in particular? He knew Peter was discouraged? About what? 
Ah, now all the disciples had fled and left Jesus in his hour of greatest need. But Peter went a step further, didn't he? And he denied him once. Three times. Mildly? No, the strongest terms and the hardest language. And so Peter really went far in his, his denial of Jesus. And so they say, tell the disciples, and Peter in particular, I want you. Isn't that a good message? Can you imagine that heaven is sending that message to you today? I want you. You in particular. Oh, I know you've messed up. I know you've denied me in some of your actions and your thoughts and your words. But I want you in particular, God says. Meet me at Galilee. Now, why Galilee? Why Galilee? Did the disciples know anything about Galilee? Many of them, it was their home. That's where they came from. But more important than that, that's where they spent the most time with Jesus. Right? All around Galilee. He went from town to town around Galilee. Caesarea Philippi and, and uh, oh, I can't even remember, all, Nazareth, of course, and, and the, other, the other places around there. And he went from place to place the disciples with them, sharing all kinds of wonderful experiences. That's where they had enjoyed Jesus. Do you have a place where you've enjoyed Jesus? On a regular basis, maybe it's a certain couch or a certain chair or a certain room or a certain bed or a certain garden or maybe a certain overlook on your way to work you stop and you just spend some time with Jesus. All of us need to have a Galilee. All of us need to have a Galilee. A place where we spend time with Jesus on a regular basis. A time where we meet with Him and, and learn of Him and sit at His feet. A, a time where we cherish Him and His words and His thoughts. A time and a place where we can just be alone with Him to pour out our hearts and to share with Him our deepest needs and our deepest even doubts and questions. We can plead with Him. We can question Him. We can even shout at Him. We can meditate and learn about Him and have our hearts burn within us with the things we're learning about Jesus. And a place, you see, this is the place where when we have fallen, we can go back to that place. All the disciples had fallen. All of them had forsaken Jesus in His, in his hour when He needed them the most. And yet He said, meet me at Galilee. And they went back to that place that they had been so familiar with being with Jesus and they went back there and they met with him again. And he met with them. Because they needed something. What did they need? What did they need at that time? They needed forgiveness, didn't they? They needed grace. They needed to experience restoration as his disciples. 
And when we've fallen and we've made mistakes and when we've jo even jumped into a rebellious sin and then the conviction comes that we've messed up and we need God and God wants us, we can go to our Galilee, our place of comfort with Jesus and meet with Him and experience those same things of forgiveness and grace and restoration. And guess what? Jesus will meet you there. And He'll put His arms around you. He'll receive you in all your weakness and all your need. And He'll put His arms of love around you and assure you that He still considers you His. You see, we need a Galilee because we're just as weak and faulty as the disciples were. And Jesus loves us just as much as He loved them. Let's pray. Our Father, God of love, of grace, of restoration, renewal, and victory, we turn to You today. And I pray, Father, that you will help us know that you love us as much as you love those disciples. Help us to be sure of it, to experience it, to have a Galilee where we can be alone with you and where we can go to in our time of great need and you will help us. We praise you. We thank you. We worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to our hymnals. Our closing hymn is number 518, Standing on the Promises of Christ My King. Number 518. Bye. 
Our benediction is taken from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Yes, I got your email and they sent it off again. What, in the mail?